Well, the weird stuff is like, like the flavor text on that Obnixilis card. Obnixilis is here and he's trapped. He's not like on either side. So he's just going to like torture animals basically because <laughs> he like doesn't know what he's doing. That's I mean, pretty weird. That's, that's pretty on brand though for just like, a, you know, black demon. It's like so chaos. As long as I'm here. I'm you... going to rip apart some bunnies. Hate you, bunny. Hate you, bird. Oh, if he kills Flit Tip or whatever. Oh, my God. People are going to lose their Yes, here's the flavor text. Trapped on Ravnica with no affection for either side, Obnixilis sought gratification in random acts of torment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. And the art is him, like, burning a bird. You know. What, what else What else are demons supposed to do for fun? Yeah, so imagine being a new player, and this is, like, one of the most constructed-worthy cards, but it has nothing to do with anything in the set, right? It's just, like, <laughs> dude like to tor- torture animals. It literally right. says on the card, like, this has nothing to do with anything else that's happening. <laughs> Meanwhile, over in this corner, <laughs> Nixilis is ripping apart animals. <laughs> Welcome to the 32nd episode of Let's Remember Some Cards, the magic podcast that's here to remember the cards, decks, and stories that make magic the game we love. Hello, I'm David Prestwith. And I'm Christian Wright. This week, we continue our cycle of talking about the top eight cards previously released for the Ravnica Allegiance Guilds. This week, we have special guest, friend of the show, and judge extraordinaire, Rebecca Lawrence. Hello, that's me. Hello. Glad you could be on. Thanks. Happy to be here. So for those of you who follow us on Twitter, this was an episode that we originally recorded and then we had some gremlins in the system who ate half of our audio. So we're going to try this again. I blame Ilharg. (laughs) Yes, it's always Ilharg's fault. We appreciate you coming back and giving us a second shot at the Gruul clans. But before we dive into them, let's do what we always do and let's remember that. Ooh, we got a weird one. This is an unhinged card, a rare from unhinged called Time Machine. For five generic mana, you get an artifact with the text tap, exile time machine, and target non-token creature you own. Return them to the battlefield at the beginning of your upkeep on your turn X in the next game you play with one of your opponents in this game, where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled creature. That's uh, super wacky. Yeah, this this is strange. You know, we had Unstable, which was a very draftable set. The older unsets were like, very, very weird. This is not a tweaked normal set. This is literally saying that the next time you play in a game with any of these people, something different happens. It's like Karn on steroids. Well, more steroids. You know, he's pretty buff for a silver golem. I appreciate that the text of this, though, like makes room for things like, oh, you might have more than one opponent in this game. And so this might count for any of them. <gasps> right. I missed that interaction. Yeah, that is the uh, official errata. The original card text was not clear, but they said, you know what? If you're playing Time Machine, let's just assume you're playing a multiplayer format because that <laughs> seems pretty likely. Um, yeah, this is a this is a little a little different. Have either of you played any silver bordered EDH games? No, no, but now I want to. <laughs> I, I refuse because that might that's too wacky for me. Like EDH is already wacky. We don't need to go more wacky, right? I haven't either, although I think there are some of the cards where if you had them as your commander, like uh what is it, Grusilda Monster Masher, where you can use her to combine creatures from graveyards, and they get the combined power and toughness and the abilities of both. Like if somebody rolled up and they're like, look, this is my commander, there aren't any other like insane silver bordered cards in the deck. I would totally Isn't that just mimeoplasm? Yeah, kind of. 
I, I would totally, you know, I would experiment and play some of those games. Yeah. No, actually, now that I think about it, I did have a friend who made a, a deck that's the big idea. Oh, sure. Okay. Again, it's all about rolling D6s. Okay. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah, there are a lot of those cool dice rolling cards that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability on this is really interesting. It's kind of like uh, Suspend lost its mind, and you've just kind of taken it to the serious, serious next level. Did this set come out before Suspend? Like, was this maybe its inception? Yes, this definitely oh, wow. came out before Suspend. This interesting uh, by a full and like these summer, I think these old uh, unsets, like these were these were basically all Maro, right? Like I didn't actually, I, I don't know the history of them. So, but like this was all just straight from his brain, wasn't it? So the first two were, uh, if I remember correctly, the first two, the first one definitely was. The first one was all Maro. For the first one, they said, "Hey, go nuts! Uh, here's a budget. We don't care." And then the second one, I think, was also all Maro all the time. And then the third one. It sounded like they had rotating developers and designers throughout the years, and then they finally got the green light. So, but the second one definitely on Morrow. So, Morrow was probably wanting to put suspend, and then he's like, "Oh, this is super fun." And then, yeah, there is a history of things being printed in the onsets that had a black bordered version later. So, Unhinged came out in two thousand four, and I believe suspend was Time Spiral. Yes, is that where it first was, and so that was two thousand six. <laughs> so, it certainly could be, hey, you know, is there a way we can? you know, activate abilities or something where it comes back later. Now, of course, you know, in Blackboard, it has to be in the same game. <laughs> um, that's an interesting observation. I wonder how many of the cards in those sets did through, and maybe this is a topic for a future show. If we went through, we could say this is the progenitor to some mechanic. So there's definitely precedent because uh, there's uh, one Blackboard card called the Cheese Stands Alone. And it basically said you have to cheat. The Cheese Stands Alone would be the only card in play, and then you win the game. And they ended up printing that in a future site in a card called Baron Glory. And it was basically exactly the same as the Chief Stands Alone, except, you know, Blackboard and Illegal. All right. Well, we'll have to think about uh, other cards that do that. And we'd love to hear from you what other cards have become Blackboarded cards from Unsets. Well, again, that was awesome. That was a heck of a card. But now let's uh, run wild and talk about the primal nature and frenzy that is the Gruul clans. Bex, what exactly are the Gruul about and what is their guild philosophy? Well, first thing to know is Gruul Smash. Yeah. So Gruul is one of the guilds that debuted back in Guild Pact in 2006. They represent the green and red, which captures both their affinity for nature and their impulsive and anarchistic tendencies. And they're really good for like stompy, aggressive play styles. So besides the game stuff aspect, what is like the story lore aspect behind the Gruul? How does that represent it in the story? Yeah, it's cool actually. And like it, it like I think the Gruul get a bad rap, right? Like I talk about Gruul Smash and it's like, yeah, that's kind of their jam now. But like they they have a cool history because like they were actually the prior to the Guild Pact, right? Because when in, in Guild Pact the set, that's when like Ravnica sort of was reforming. And so prior to the Guild Pact the Gruul clans were the the wilderness guardians of Ravnica. And so like they sort of had, you know, they were the wardens. But once the guild pact happened and they sort of split up the the land and the responsibilities of Ravnica and the other guilds all started to develop their processes and like the Simic started to work on evolution of nature. And so they sort of stole the parts of like animal caring from the Gruul. And then the, the Selesnia were talking about bringing things into the conclave and taking care of, of the natural habitats. And so they, they pulled the land from the Gruul. And so they, they slowly had their, you know, their livelihoods stripped from them. 
And so as time went on, they turned to these more sort of primal instincts. They've gone so far now as to be like, they throw parties all the time that, you know, they basically like show up, they trash a place and then they like eat and drink everything in sight and then they leave. And they call this rock chav and it takes them like three days to like, it's like the craziest party in the world. Cam into um, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty metal. Um, and like, and they're actually, in my opinion, they're actually the most metal of the guilds because like becoming a member of the Gruul clans actually involves being buried alive. Because like the idea metal. is like you, you, you bury your old self and then you're born anew and have to prove yourself, you know, as, as a member of the clan. So I was in for the parties, but I think I'm suddenly out. Yeah, I think being buried alive is a little too much, but that's just my Orzavian slash Azorius tendencies breaking through <laughs> on that one. Yeah, and like their whole like religious organization is built around this idea. You know, I mentioned Ilharg earlier, and that's that's their god. He's a giant boar, and they call you know their religion calls for the end rays, which is when Ilharg comes down and tramples all of Ravnica into rubble. The Gruul want Ilharg to lead the end rays. And rip Ravnica apart, but they're called the Gruul clans. Why is that? So the Gruul, like you know, the the guilds of Ravnica are all their different organizations, but the Gruul are actually made up of seven distinct clans or groups, and they they each have their they're, like they're all named, and all of them are actually on magic cards. So if you can, if you think about it, you might be able to name them all. Okay, so yeah. I've got uh, the Gore clan, right? Mm-hmm. Gore clan rampager. That's got to be one. Sky yep. clan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the Zerta. I remember those from the middle Ravnica block. Yep. yep. The Zerta are the are the the religious leaders. Okay. Okay. Burning Tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. so the Burning Tree are actually the ones who technically like lead the Gruul, right? So like when you see the Gruul symbol, that's the Burning Tree clan symbol. Oh uh, yeah, it is uh, a Burning Tree. They they're just sending emissaries all over the place. Yep. Nice. Uh, we have in Ravnica Allegiance Bullrack Clan Crusher. Mm-hmm. So good, that's, good that's catch. That's five. Okay, that's five. Yep. Um, what? Uh, we talk about Scab Clan. I'm start. Is Scargan? Is that a clan? The Scarg? Like the Scargan Hellkite? No, the Scarg are not one of the clans. Lame. Uh, all right. Well, we're we're five for seven. What else do we have? So the other two, they're actually both in uh, Ravnica Allegiance. Okay. Uh, you have the Gravelhide. Uh, oh, they are right. mostly goblins. So you have like Gravelhide Goblin is common from Ravnica Allegiance. Yep. And then the last one, this one's slightly cheating because it is in Ravnica Allegiance, but you only would know that it's a different clan from the flavor text. And that's Rubble Belt Runner. It's the Slizzed clan. The and Slizzed. There's they're the, the Viachino. Okay. That sounds like a very Viachino thing. It's like a lizard and, yeah, kind of gross. That's too deep. Too deep. They're not a real clan. They're like the deep cut clan. It's like, oh, I'm part of the Slizzit. And you're like, dude, you're a hipster. I mean, they do, they do have knives, so they are, you know, their whole deal is deep cuts. That's true. Okay. Nice. That's nice. <laughs> well, that is absolutely savage. Great little dive into gruel clan lore. But let's talk about the actual cards, the beef, not just the sizzle. Of, of the Gruul. So for the main mechanics of Gruul, Wizards really leaned into the aggressive nature of the guild's philosophy. Their two main mechanics that we've seen prior to Ravnica Allegiance really deal with attacking creatures. 
Yeah, and we'll get into that. Um, but first, as we've discussed in our prior guild episodes, one of the best ways to tell what the color pairs are supposed to do is to look at the guild mages. They're kind of like the ground floor for what each color pair is trying to accomplish. So each Ravnica block has a guild mage for each guild. Each one is a two-mana 2-2 two -two that is either a wizard or a shaman. In the original Ravnica block, each costs two hybrid mana. So in this case, they would you could pay red-red or green-green or red-green for your 2-2. Two -two. Uh, in the Return to Ravnica block, they each cost one of each mana in the color pair. So why don't we talk about the two guild mages and see if that gives us some better insight into Gruul. Yeah, so let's start off with Gruul guild mage. So Gruul guild mage, again, since it's from the original Ravnica block, it's red-green, red-green, hybrid. Um, it's a human shaman, and you could pay three and a red to sac and sacrifice a land, and Gruul guild mage deals two damage to target player, or you can pay three and a green for target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. This seems uh, fairly underwhelming compared to some of the other guild mages we've seen. Yeah, it's pretty underwhelming. Like, it's flavorful, but it's pretty underwhelming. Some direct damage, some making your creatures bigger. These are things that Gruul generally likes to do. Sacrificing a land is uh, kind of interesting, but I guess at the end of the game, if you have this in play and they're at four, yeah. you know, you got them on a pretty short clock. All four mana, though, like, that's, like, especially for that green ability, I want I want that to be given my guy Trample. Like, let me get let me get that damage in. Yeah, it seems like for a clan that the history cares about preserving the land, it actually kind of seems a little off kilter <laughs> to have it sacrifice a land. You'd think so, but that's the thing, is they're not necessarily like, you know, the, the Celestian are the preservationists, right? The Gruul are all about sort of, you know, the fury of the land, like the land itself has been taken from them and has been paved over. And so this is them unleashing nature's wrath. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we try a Scar Guild Mage from Gatecrash? which was red-green for a 2-2 human shaman. And it has red-green creatures you control gain trample until end of turn. So there's that trample, but with no power toughness bonus. Or one red-green target land you control becomes a 4-4 elemental creature until end of turn. It's still a land. That second Ooh. ability, that's, that's three spicy. mana to make a 4-4 out of one of your lands? And you could yeah. do it more than once a turn? Yeah, this is the hotness. Did you guys play a lot of Gatecrash Limited, or were you exposed to a lot of it? I did. That was probably my my heyday of magic. Did you play Scar Guild Mage a lot? It's hard to say. Like it, Gatecrash was challenging because like a lot of the game was built was funneled around uh, survive Boros, and then you can do other cool stuff, right? <laughs> but yeah, I would say whenever I saw Scar Guild Mage, I was definitely in tune with it because play Scar Guild Mage on two, make a four four on three to block with. That's a good place to be. Yeah, that's fair. I remember doing that a lot, too. And it was also a finisher, because if you could survive, all of a sudden, turning all this excess land you were drawing into 4-4 into four, four elementals was pretty pretty much where you wanted to be. And that's what happened, yeah, like, too, if you could survive that that initial shock, as you would just start stalling out. Turn 6, even if you got nothing else, you got a 4-4 four, four that can, you can give trample. Seems great. That's the fury of the land that you were talking about. Yep. It's coming in as a 4-4. Four, four. Good luck. All right, well, now that we've done that, let's get onto our list. So as with other guilds, we have only looked at cards with the guild mark that were not part of a split card with a different guild. So every card that we looked at had to have just a Gruul guild mark on it and come from the first two Ravnica blocks. All right, Rebecca, we will default to you. Uh, what is the first card on our list? All right, well... First, but certainly not the, the least among them, is the now former leader of the guild, Borborygmos, and his companion, Borborygmos Enraged. So I will read these. Borborygmos, uh, originally a rare from Guild Pact, 
was three red, red, green, green for a six, seven legendary Cyclops. It has trample and it says whenever Borborigmo steals combat damage to a player, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Seven mana is a lot, but uh, that does a lot of work. And then later Borborigmos, Borborigmos Enraged was a mythic from Gatecrash. Four red, red, green, green for a seven, six. So a little more expensive and flipping the power and toughness. And again, a legendary Cyclops with Trample. Whenever Borborigmos Enraged deals combat damage to a player, reveal the top three cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. And you can discard a land card and Borborigmos Enraged will deal three damage to any target. Good old Bobby G, we call him. Bobby G. Bobby G. That sounds like Berberigmos, like, it's it's not he to say crush them. He's like, yeah, crush them. And then we'll <laughs> uh, we'll go back later and break his ankles. So there's a long history of magic cards that I feel like have taught me vocabulary words. Like, if I had been paying attention, if I had had this when I was a, a little kid, you know, I would have always aced those vocab tests. But this is one of my favorites because Borberigmos is a real thing. And it means the rumbling and gurgling sound in your intestines when there's like a little bit of gas moving around. So the fact that that's just his name is a little absurd, but the fact that the second time he's enraged is like absurd and also kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. Besides the fact that he is a little gassy, this card is gas, but there's a reason why this card is notable. But, and I think Bex, you, you might be the best person to describe why this card is notable, especially Borborig most enraged. Sure. So yeah, so this card has been known in the past as Pything Needle's Worst Nightmare. And the reason for that is because the rules of magic have changed a bunch over the years, but there was a, a fairly long period until a couple years ago where the way the rules worked, it's like any time that you would put something into play that asked for a card name, you could say pretty much anything that as long as people understood that to be a card name. You know, a lot of times folks would say like, for example... So like Vidalcan Shackles, right? If they were trying to, if someone was going to pie the needle your, your Vidalcan Shackles, they could just say Shackles. And people would know what that meant. It was legal because there wasn't actually a card named Shackles. So it's like, okay, you, Shackles isn't legal, but rather than penalize you for that, we can infer that you're talking about this other card that you know, at least has Shackles in the name. Actually, sure. wait, wait one second. There is a card called Shackles. Oh, okay. Bad example. But You'll understand why that example that that matters here in a second. So what would happen though is that people would play Pything Needle and name Borbor. They would say you know naming Borborigmos specifically to turn off their opponent's Borborigmos Enraged because there's a combo deck that uses it. You draw a bunch of lands and then discard them all to do a bunch of damage to your opponent. Someone said at some point at a tournament, you know, some big tournament. This is how this all happened. Was they they played Pything Needle and said naming Borborigmos, and their opponent was like. So you're naming Borborigmos, right? And he's like, yeah, that's what I said. And it's like, cool, got it. And then he proceeds to activate his combo, and his opponent's like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, yes, I can, because you named the wrong one. And the judges were like, yeah, technically that's a card name, so we have to accept it. So they changed that rule now, and now it's like, okay, if you say Borborigmos, we can't be sure which one it is, so you got to be clearer than that. Oh. Usually that just means point to the one on the battlefield. That makes sense. You know, it's the difference between a a verbal misplay and then a strategic misplay. Exactly. I think that Magic has done a really good job in recent years of moving the rules in a way that prevent feel-bads from simple mistakes like that. Um, I think you see that with some of the changes they've tried to make to the, um, you know, the concession rules and disqualifying people at 
casual events for trying to, you know, split up prizes and um, to make sure that nobody leaves with a bad taste in their mouth for something that they couldn't have expected, you know, was against the rules or, or didn't work out. All right. What's next on our list? All right. Next up, we have Burning Tree Emissary. Burning Tree Emissary. Oh, this is a good one. So Burning Tree Emissary is a red, green, red, green uh, human shaman. It's a 2-2 from Gate Crash, and it has an ability when Burning Tree Emissary enters the battlefield, add red, green. So yeah, this card is super exciting because you can like just you know vomit out a whole bunch of them and play some other two drops, and suddenly you have like twelve power on the field. It's scary. Yeah, this got a reprint down at Common in Modern Masters 2017, which was fun because you could have a deck with three or four of them, and there was a red green aggro deck in that format with things like Dragon Fodder and Hell Rider was a rare in that set. So you could dump a whole bunch of things out on the battlefield and go totally nuts uh, with all of your tutus and little tokens. And I'm sad I missed that set. Yeah, it was pretty nice. I remember this being really good and people played it. And then once they printed a card called Anger the Gods from uh, Theros, that kind of put a kibosh a lot of these like blitz type decks because they would vomit their hand. You're like, okay, cool. So Next turn, I'll draw a card, play a land, and then you exile your whole battlefield. And they went, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. Pyroclasm is the mortal enemy of these these type of strategies. Right. Although it does contribute to devotion. So that actually came up as a quick way to get your uh, Nykthos Shrine of Nyx to produce a ton of mana for mm-hmm. relatively low initial investment. Yeah, Devotion is right. This uh, was played in the green Devotion decks in the Thero standard. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have that standard format anymore. <laughs> <laughs> totally reasonable. All right, what is next on our list? Okay, next up is Scab Clan Mauler. Ooh, this is a nice one. Scab Clan Mauler was a common from Guild Pact. It was a red and a green for a 1-1 human berserker. It had trample. And it also had Bloodthirst too. So Bloodthirst is one of the first gruel mechanics. It says, if an opponent was dealt damage this turn, this creature enters the battlefield with, in this case, two plus one plus one counters on it. So no, it is not just a one one trample for two. You're playing this as a three three trample for two, which is very good. Yeah, it was the uh, first mechanic we saw from gruel. And it had a theme where they would have a lot. It was Bloodthirst X, essentially. And that number would change depending on the creature and the you know, rarity and such. So you, we had uh, up to Bloodthirst 3, we had Bloodthirst X, you know, for some for one card. So it was a nice uh, nice little mechanic that prioritized attacking and really fed into the whole Gruul uh, ethos and philosophy. Yeah, this um, came back, interestingly, in the M12 corset. And it was not just in red and green, so they expanded it. It was in red and black. So there are a bunch of pretty interesting cards out there you know the most popular probably today is uh, bloodlord of vaskoth which was a three black black three three vampire warrior with flying and it had bloodthirst three so you know maybe it's a six six flyer for five but also it said whenever you cast a vampire creature spell it gains bloodthirst three so it's just a very special kind of vampire lord i thought it was interesting normally when they bring back a mechanic it kind of sits in the original colors or maybe even fewer colors, but they they kind of blew it out into this red black vampire thing. I like the way Bloodthirst like makes you think about it. It sort of pushes you into overextending a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of sequencing challenges that it creates. Yeah. In Revnik Allegiance, uh, the Rakdos mechanic spectacle is kind of like that too, where mm-hmm. yep. creatures have a, a spectacle ability or spectacle triggers when 
an opponent has been dealt damage this turn. And sometimes it makes you weirdly attack or play a direct damage spell you might not normally want to play to get the ability. Bloodthirst is definitely like that. It was definitely balanced for guild pack because it was good, but it wasn't like broken. There was ways to slow down the ground and you weren't necessarily punching people in the face and enabling bloodthirst. Whereas in M12, it was miserable and it was pretty much bloodthirst the draft set. All right, what is next? Okay, next up is, this is one of my favorites. This is Gore Clan Rampager. Gore Clan Rampager. Oh, this is a good one. So Gore Clan Rampager, it's two red and a green for a 4-4 beast. It was an uncommon in Gate Crash. It has Trample and then has this ability uh, called Blood Rush. So it says Blood Rush, red and a green, discard Gore Clan Rampager, target attacking creature gets plus four plus four and gains Trample until end of turn. What exactly is Blood Rush again? So Blood Rush was the second Gruul mechanic. This was exclusively on creatures, and it turned those creatures basically into pump spells for an attacking creature. So you would pay a cost, usually less than the creature's converted mana cost, and discard it, and then it gave a creature the power and toughness boost of the Blood Rush card and whatever the ability was on the Blood Rush card. So, for example, another one was Scab Clan Charger. That was a 2-4 creature with Blood Rush, and you could pay one in a green and discard it to give an attacking creature plus two, plus four until end of turn. This was a nice one. So this set was out when I came back to Magic, and it was one of the first cards I saw. And after having left in 1997, coming back and saying, wait a minute, this is a four mana, four, four? That's crazy. And it has trample? That's crazy. Oh, and it's also just a giant growth that gives trample and is even bigger if I want it to be? That's crazy. And immediately, you know, picked up a play set of these because I'm like, it must be broken. It must just be one of the best cards in the game. Sure looks like it. It certainly saw a lot of play in that same standard we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. All is, those same decks used it. Why is this a favor to your specs? Uh, I mean, for a lot of the reasons we just talked about, you know, it's like the, the Blood Rush mechanic in general, like, gives you a lot of flexibility, right? And so it's like... This, this card in particular was just like, oh, you get this great rate creature or you can, you know, your, or you, and or you can use it to save one of your other creatures who's trying to crash in and, you know, nug one of your opponents with it. It's like, oh, I'm going to swing in with my 2-1. You can block with your 3-3, three, three, but you're going to take a bunch of damage, you know, stuff like that. I'm guessing this card ended a lot of games in that format, both oh, yeah. open and limited. Yep. Yeah. I, I want this to come back. I think this is one of the better pseudo spell mechanics essentially because you're doing the thing that you want new players to do which is to draft creatures right and it just turns creatures that you know you might not want to play with and it actually turns them into spells when you need to right it's really great and flexible i'm surprised it hasn't had a reuse since it's been released uh seven years ago my god we're old how how many times do you, you have a cool creature in your hand that you're really excited to play, but you get, like, mana screwed, right? And so, oh, I can't play my five or six drop or whatever, but I can totally blood rush it for, you know, three mana. That sounds great to me. You know, it's interesting, too, that it's a way to put a spell-type effect on a creature. It acts like an instant or sorcery, but if you are playing a deck that cares about creature cards in your graveyard... Or there's a card in Ravnica Allegiance, Nikia of the Old Ways, that doubles your mana but doesn't let you cast non-creature spells. If you're playing across the guilds, Bloodrush just plays well with Bloodthirst. It plays well with all these other cards. I really think Gruul hit it out of the park. We've done a number of these guild shows, and it's inevitably one of the mechanics is a stinker. But these are both good, and they play well together. All right, next on the list. 
Next up is uh, Giant Solifuge. Giant Solifuge. So this is two Gruel Hybrid, Gruel Hybrid. Uh, so four mana for a 4-1 Insect. It has Trample, Haste, and Shroud. So kind of like a weird spidery ball lightning. This is another one of those like vocabulary expanding cards. Yeah, Sulefidge, for those unaware, it's a type of spider. So very appropriate for spider lightning. <laughs> spider lightning. So there's some history with this one, right? Yes. This was the premier card when it was spoiled, but it was misspoiled. So there was a leak and people thought it was a 4-3 and the internet lost its oh, goddamn no. mind. <laughs> like, yeah, um, a 4-3 trample haste shroud seems for 4 seems a lot better than a 4-1. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, everyone's like, this is one of the best cards printed. This is ridiculous. Going to be a $25 card. And then when they finally got spoiled, they were like, oh, no, this is just a 4-1. This, no- this is good. It was still played. It just wasn't as, like, world-shattering as people thought it was. It's just like a tiny lava axe that can block? As Arclight Phoenix has demonstrated, sometimes not having to attack is really, really good. So- All right, what's next? Okay, next up is the... Maybe I don't know if he's less well known, but the the champion of the of the girl, which is Rurikthar the Unbu- Unbowed. Rurikthar the Unbowed. What a name! Rurikthar the Unbowed is four green and a red for a six six legendary org warrior. It has vigilance and reach, and Rurikthar the Unbowed attacks each combat if able. And whenever a player casts a non-creature spell. Rukthar deals six damage to that player. I thought for a second you said Org Warrior, and I got super excited. Oh, but he's an ogre. <laughs> no, he's an ogre. No, no. I mean, Org, it could have been an Org. Why didn't they bring it back? Wizards. Yeah, this card's pretty, pretty good. So the fun thing about cards like this is that, like, not only do they, you know, encourage you to build your deck a certain way, but they they give you value coming and going, right? So it's like, okay, I play this on my turn six. You can kill it if you want, but you're going to take six damage anyway. So you're still getting some value out of it. But if you don't, then it's like it's got vigilance, it's got reach, so it's going to block all of your flyers. It's a giant butt, so it's hard to block profitably. And it's a, a Rurikthar hitting the table raises everybody's eyebrows. And like the the fun, clever thing about this card these days is that this card is like the great EDH equalizer. You get everyone who's playing there, oh, I'm going to play my Moxes and all this crazy stuff. And it's like, okay, I'm going to play Rurithar, and you're going to have to be taking some damage if you want to do all this crazy stuff. Sorry. Yeah, and six damage is a lot. Yeah, is even, a at, lot. even at Commander li- life totals. It's yeah, a lot. I love a lot of things about this card. One is that the fact that it has to attack each turn of Able is super gruel, but it's also huge. So it has the thing like the common from Ravnica Legion's Rebel Belt Recluse that is a 5-mana 6-5 that has to attack each turn if able, it's like, that's not a drawback. Yeah, It's going to yeah. attack. It's here for this reason. But then it also gives it vigilance. And so it's like, yeah, well, it has to attack, but it's still going to sit here and block. This card was in some of those green devotion decks we were talking about earlier. It was a sideboard card. They would splash red for it because there were some control decks in the format and some other decks that wanted to play a lot of instants and sorceries. And this just turns that straight off. I was going to say, sometimes they splash red off of those uh, Burning Tree Emissaries we saw earlier. Yeah, it's all synergy. I wonder if they got to play some Gorg Clan Rampagers and other Blood Rush cards that allowed them to get spell-like effects, but not actually cast non-creature spells. Synergy. 
I've been wrecked by this in modern because it's played in Amulet Titan. It's a cyborg mm. card and it says, hey, guess what, control decks? Eat poop. And you're like, yeah, it's fair. <laughs> good against Phoenix, too. Yeah, yeah. Seems, uh, seems very good in those decks. Yep. All right, what's next? Next up is Clan Defiance. This one's a great one because like you you read it multiple times and you're like, wait, what does that do? Yeah, this was another one that I saw right when uh, coming back to the game. And I was like, oh my God, how is this even a card? So Clan Defiance is X red green for a sorcery. And it says, choose one or more. One or more. You can choose all of these. Clan Defiance deals X damage to target creature with flying. Deals X damage to target creature without flying. Deals X damage to target player or planeswalker. So, you know, you spend, say, six mana... Four to a flyer, four to a non-flyer, four to somebody's face. What? This is a commander all-star, isn't it? Or it should be played in commander. Maybe it's an underrated commander gem. Uh, I think it falls in under underrated commander gem. I don't know a lot of people who play this card, but every time somebody does, it's just totally bonkers. Because in that format, they're casting for it for like X equals 12, dealing with the two biggest threats and killing a player. Yeah, no, it's it's wild. It's like... And every like it seems like anytime I've seen this card played, someone gets like I said, someone gets it wrong. You know, like they're mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, it's choose one or choose one or two, right? It's no, it's you can do all three of these things. Like you, you get the cake and eat it too, and get to lick the lick the plate clean. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. Uh, it's like that we were talking about this earlier. It's like that kitten gif where it's like, kill that, kill that, oh, kill that too. I hate you, like. Yeah, all three of those. I hate right. this. I hate that. I hate this in particular. Right. Yep. Like, bleh. here's a stylistic question: Do you guys prefer the old Templatine, or do you prefer the new Templatine, which you can see when it was is reprinted in Commander 2016? Oh, I love the new templates. The the bullet points make it so much cleaner. And like this card, I think that's part of the reason why this card people like misparse it because mm-hmm. it's just this giant block of text on the old old printing. Yeah, all of the modal cards or cards that provide choices like this, now that they've gone to bullets, are so much cleaner and so much better. A great stylistic change. You know, again, all of the things that Magic has done to make the game a little more straightforward and a little simpler without actually decreasing the complexity of the game that's there on purpose have been great. This is another excellent example. Well, all right. So we've defied some clans. Uh, What's next on our list? All right, so this one has a special place in my heart. It is Armed and Dangerous. Armed and Dangerous. We get a chance to talk about a split card. We don't do that very often, uh, especially in these series. So Armed and Dangerous, as we said, it's a split card from Dragon's Maze. It's an uncommon. The one half of Armed and Dangerous is Armed. For one in red, target creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains double strike until end of turn, and it's a sorcery. The other side of it is Dangerous. It is three and a green for, again, a sorcery, and all creatures able to block target creature this turn do so. It also has Fuse. So Fuse says you may cast one or both halves of this card from your hand. So yeah, what, what's uh, what's the story, Bex? Back in, you know, this card was in Dragon's Maze. So I was drafting Dragon's Maze and I had pulled together a pretty good little Naya sort of mid-rangey deck that, you know, had some Gruul stuff, had some Slesnia tokens. And so I just could kind of go wide and hold the field till I could find one of my Haymakers. And one of my Haymakers at the time was the, the Selesnya Enchantment Unflinching Courage was a, an aura that you could put on your creature. It was one green and a white, and it gave it plus two, plus two, and trample and lifelink. Really, really good card. Uh, maybe it was plus one, plus one. Not important, though. What is important is I had that on a creature, I was holding down the battlefield, and then I drew Armed and Dangerous. And so I did, some, I did something, 
And then I was like, okay, so armed and dangerous on my on my guy with with unflinching courage on it, like casting both halves, and like they had like five creatures on the battlefield. So it's like, so you're gonna lose three of those creatures. I'm gonna gain, you know, thirty life. And as I'm saying all of this from across the room, Chris Yates, our one of our judges at Labyrinth, yells out, "Bex, you're a bad person." <laughs> I mean, just justifiable. <laughs> fairly gross. It was great. So, did you did you tattoo your arms with that afterwards? I would. If I had that play, I'd been like, "This is armed and this is dangerous." And this doesn't yeah. really work on a metaphor, but just roll with it. I, I spent a lot of money on this tattoo. It's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I, I'm a big fan of lore abilities anytime they exist in limited by themselves, but making the creature also bigger and giving it double strike so that you are really doing the job of not just getting your other guys through, but taking out the some of the creatures that are blocking with it. Uh, that That's pretty gross. This card's nice. Yeah. It also helps that this was one of the few playable cards in Dragon's Made Limited. Hey! Oh. All right. So we've done eight, and I'll run through them here really quick. We're counting the Borborygmoses. Borborygmoses is one. So we had Borborygmos and Borborygmos Enraged, Burning Tree Emissary, Scab Clan Mauler, Gore Clan Rampager, Giant Solifuge, Rurik Thar the Unbowed, Clan Defiance, and Armed and Dangerous. And Bex, there was one more that uh, didn't really make our top eight, but you wanted to talk about it, and I am very interested. Yeah, so uh, this card is when when you think about a legendary creature, what comes to mind with those? Like, what do you generally assume is carried along when when a creature is legendary? Like, not counting game terms, just like what is, what do you think it means when they make something legendary? It's unique, outsized in its influence. So this card is the you know the most flavorful card that doesn't have any flavor text huh. uh, and it is Ulash the Hate Seed this card is super cool so Ulash the Hate Seed is two red green for a zero zero Hellion Hydra it is legendary and it says Ulash the Hate Seed enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each other red creature you control and a plus one plus one counter on it for each other green creature you control it also says you can pay one and remove a plus one plus one counter from Ulasht and then choose one. Ulash deals one damage to target creature, or you create a one one green sapperling creature token. What a weird confluence of things that it does. Yeah, so like the the story behind this, like that and this is what I really love about this card, is it like Ulash is probably a demigod. Like it lives under Ravnica. And it's, you know, it's like sort of like the secret old god of the gruel. And it's like, so it, it you know, feeds from the the, the, the energies and the, the, and it sort of has a symbiotic relationship with the creatures of the clan. Like that's where the, you know, it gets bigger as, as you have more creatures out. But it can also, you know, like, you know, unleash this fury of the, the earth itself, you know, and sort of rise up and lash out. That's kind of terrifying. Oh, yeah, we have this god, and he's a big boar, and he wants to destroy everything. But also, there's this horrifying hellion, hydra, weird, demonic thing under Ravnica. Don't worry about that. Pay attention to the big boar, but this cool <laughs> pre-cosmic horror, Eldrazi cosmic horror type thing. Yeah, that's, that's cool. It's whatever. You know, we'll just keep feeding it bridges. and Yeah, don't worry. It just makes little sappies. Everybody loves little sappies. No big deal. Little sappies. Oh, so cute. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it has that nice ability. It plays well with the other gruel creatures. The way this ability is templated, if you have one other creature in play and it's both red and green, Ulasht would enter with two plus one plus one counters. Mm-hmm. So it can get pretty big. Oh, yeah. Well, that was super fun. Bex, thanks for coming on. But before we go, we got to talk about some artwork. Specifically, you just hung some gorgeous artwork in your house, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I actually, so I, I had some uh, prints from um, Therese Nielsen that I bought, like, I don't know, three years ago. Like, I've had them shamefully just kind of sitting around in, in plastic. But I was finally like, okay, like, I, you know, there was a sale on some frames. And, like, I, I, saw, I was looking around my around our apartment. I was like, you know, I bet these would fit up there. And so I got them all set up. And so I have the Eternal Masters Force of Will and the promo uh, Swords to Plowshares. Oh, nice. And her mother of runes, also from I think from Eternal Masters, oh, and nice. so those are those are hanging up in our living room now, and they're they're really pretty. I do think it's it's worth noting here, like maybe don't give your money to Therese Nielsen; she's not a great person. But you know, I, I had already bought the art, and it's very pretty art, so I'm happy to to have it up in my house. You know, every time we talk about it, there's a just a little cringe in the air because her views are maybe not in line with the more enlightened folks in the magic community and not in line with the values of this podcast. But man, she really just paints beautiful pictures. Yep. She does. And don't ever check her Twitter follows. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yep. We're, <staying, laughs> we're going to stay out of there. <laughs> Bex, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Um, Bex, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, most commonly I am on Twitter. Uh, I, my Twitter is nullzone42. Right. Um, I, I talk magic sometimes. Like I, I'm, I'm more talk, I spend more time talking about board games and, and things of that nature. All right. Well, listeners, you should check that out. We will put it in the show notes. I also want to give you a personal thank you for answering all of my dumbest judge questions over the years uh, at Labyrinth Puzzles and Games in DC and elsewhere. It's uh, It's been a big help in making me understand the cards just a little bit better. Good. It sounds like I'm doing my job right then. Absolutely. All right. You can find us on Twitter at RememberMTG, or you can send us an email at RememberSomeCards at gmail.com. We would love your feedback. And please tell us what cards you want to remember. And until next time, don't forget to remember some cards.